1: if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today.
0: Sometimes we get a chance to, to meet people along the way, Joey, that I think really impact our lives. And I I, I think it's one of the most valuable things that we can do is when we go to events to have those conversations. And today we're interviewing Mitch Steven or kind of doing an update, right? I mean, we, yep. we've had him on the show in the past, but several several years ago, we got a chance to go down to his ranch over in San
1: Antonio, Texas. And that was an experience. Man, you, you, you want to talk about a guy that's one in a million. Um, that ranch was unbelievable. Like the experience of being out there, I want to say it's 400 something acres, um, as far as you can see, there's no other house and there are, he's taking us out on his, uh, in his golf cart, golf cart. Come on, bro. This is, I'm sorry. I, it's for not for, for
0: you guys cart. who who know anything about this, this is a side by side with, with the seat on the back. Like this is no golf cart.
1: I'm sorry. I was. I kept thinking, man, it'd be great to just pull out <laughs> the driver right now. <laughs> uh, he wanted me to shoot something and you know, I'm not much with a gun, but, and by the way, we didn't ever see a hog that we could kill, but
0: no, they were running the only time we got a chance to see them. But if you've ever been to South Texas, so we're out in San Antonio, this ranch, everything's flat. There's, you know, cactus and there's like animals everywhere. We, we probably saw 250 deer at least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, but the, there was one interesting thing that we got a chance to see. And, uh, you know, there, there's a, um, a really funny story here, but we need we need to share. What, what was the experience, Joe? When we were riding around, we Mitch had to do a podcast. He said, "Hey, you guys, take this thing out. You take the gun, go check, see if you can kill something." And we come around a corner. What did we come upon?
1: Man, I felt like a, a snake charmer. Uh, we, we ran across two rattlesnakes, and from a distance, looked like they were fighting. But then it looked like maybe something else was going on. So when you say
0: fighting, like what does that mean? Like explain this. Somebody visually has never seen a rattlesnake
1: in the wild, much less seen them the way that we saw. I mean, describe it a little better. Okay. It looks like they're kind of wrapped up, but then they're standing up almost like a cobra is what I envision. Like a cobra just standing up, rearing back at each other. And then just one would just attack the other one. And then they would just, roll around and then they'd stand back up and then the next one would attack the other one and then they'd stand back up and it just was this we were just kind of dumbfounded I mean well he, here's the thing is that imagine seeing two six
0: seven foot rattlesnakes yeah easy and and how big around would you say like maybe like six inches around eight inches around how big around uh, were those snakes you think
1: probably yeah five or six inches I mean they were enormous these are, these are large
0: and, and so like half their body is like in like a a visualize like what a chair like a 90 degree angle half their body is standing straight up and they're like face to face and just we were 30 30 yards from them not even and and you could just see them and like i was terrified just being that close to them like i'm just thinking at at, at what point am i gonna hit the gas and just leave you guys out (laughs) you know if they even like turned my way i was gonna hit the gas and then all of a sudden, they're wrapping themselves around each other while still standing up, and then they would fling themselves to the ground, and this like rolling in the dirt would, would happen for two or three uh, seconds, and then they come back up.
1: Yeah, I, I I think what happened though, Russ, is there was no fighting. I think what Mitch told us was about nine months later there was a bunch of eggs. <laughs> nine months around. later. <laughs>
0: You have to do research on that one and tell me like it takes nine months. But yes, they were making whoopee. That's what they were doing. They're doing snake whoopee. And uh, there, there, was a moment where we were just sitting there and and, and our, our assistant had gone with us on this trip because we we're actually out there um, at a land flipping event. And um, she was helping us with the land flipping business. And so <laughs> she's sitting on the back of that cart, like looking at it. And I, and she went to take a picture, and Joey, you tapped her on the shoulder, and I thought she,
1: he was going to come out of her skin. I figured one of us was going to have to change their pants <laughs> at that point.
0: Oh, man, what a great story. But uh, listening to Mitch today, if, if you don't know who Mitch Stevens is, go to 1000houses.com. This guy has bought a house every three to four days for the last 20-some-odd years. He knows what he's talking about. This interview is going to go all over the place. <laughs> But I would to- totally like encourage you, if if you think like, hey, how can I be successful and, and take a really small idea and make it large? Mitch is a perfect example of someone who started with nothing, didn't know anything about uh, the real estate world, and has become fabulously successful, but at the same time has been just super humble and has uh,
1: been really um, open book yeah. with, with us about his failures and his wins. And uh, I love the fact that he wants to be the bank. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, that's what we're always about here on the show. Let's go ahead and dive into this interview. The update with Mitch Steven.
0: Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now. Don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. All right, we're blessed to have Mitch Stephen back on the show with us today. Mitch is someone that Joey and I got to personally spend some time with um, a couple of years back, and I'm just grateful, Mitch, that uh, we we got to know you. And for those who haven't had a chance to hear your backstory, it's a pretty colorful one. It's interesting. Not everything can be shared on the show because it's a family show, okay, Mitch? But uh, <laughs> for, for those who, who didn't get to Dang hear the, it. The Dang first, it, you know, the ratings would really go up if
2: you'd just let me speak freely. <laughs>
0: Well, just give give our audience a a snippet of uh, your background just so that way they know as we get deeper into the story.
2: Okay. Once upon a time, there was a dumbass. His name (laughs) was Mitch Steven. And he was so broke, he got pissed off and said he's never going backwards again. So he started reading about money and talking about money and being around and just trying to figure out how to make some money. And then over a period of time, the dumbass figured out how to buy a hundred houses a year and he's still not all that smart, but he's has an aversion to pain and, he, and he's drawn towards pleasure. So every time I did something that hurt, I would try to stop doing that. And then every time I did something that felt good, I'd try to do that some more and it turned into a career and, and it was kind of centered around buying and selling houses. So I bought a house about every four or five days for over two decades. So in my, in or about my hometown. So I buy about a hundred houses a year Um and I owner finance, I sell them with owner financing about 70% of them. So I'm really specializing in being the bank and collecting mortgage payments from people. So I like the part that where I get the money, but then if something breaks, I don't have to give it up because it's not my house anymore. So I just need to keep the money. So that's, that's, so and, and, and all of this in seven bucks will get you a cup of coffee at one of those real expensive coffee places. But I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I've just been doing the same thing for a long 27 years, really. And and, and I just kind of figured out where all the, the mines were and all the potholes are. And now, now I'm probably considered an expert at what I do, whether I like it or not. If you do something long enough and diligently enough, you know, they say 10,000 hours. I probably have 60,000
0: hours. Well, Mitch, and if everybody's following the math at home, if Mitch is buying 100 houses a year and he's been doing this for over 20 years, that tells you that he knows a thing or two about buying a house. And I love the part, Joey, they said
1: that he liked to be the bank. Oh, man, you're just speaking our love language here, Mitch. Like, we all want to be the bank. That's why we're here. That's why we're learning on Wealth Without Wall Street. So that's why you're back. Now, you know, the so last I,
2: time... I, I drive around town and I look at all the tall buildings and uh, they all got bank names on them. I said, well, what the hell are they doing? I said, they're loaning money. I said, well, maybe I should look into that.
0: <laughs> well, look, I mean, I'm
2: not, I'm, not, I'm not real smart, but I'm not real stupid. I'm, I'm, you, know, <laughs> you know, it either had an insurance company's name on the top of it or I, I didn't want to be in the insurance business because I don't understand it. But I can understand loaning money and if you don't pay me, I get to get something back. I can understand that.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the last time you were on the show, you were you were sharing kind of the lending business that you you're in, and and you you did a, an amazing job of uh, helping other people who needed to get money at work, and allowed you to borrow against that money to buy houses and to then uh, make money over the top of it. Now, kind of update us on what's what's been new with you over the last two years.
2: Um, it's just shifts in the uh in the economy, you know the competition for houses in town the inspectors were getting really aggressive so we we moved rural and uh found a home out in the country uh doing business outside city limits and all them all those inspectors can well we won't talk about what they can do but but they can do it without me let's just put it that way and uh and uh You know, so we started uh, buying land and owner financing, you know, breaking it up into smaller pieces. Or, you know, maybe it's already a small piece and we're just seller financing it. Um, So we kind of got off the beaten path. I deal in a lot of mobile homes and land. Uh, I like stuff that people don't like and people don't, you know, they didn't like that stuff. So I thought, well, they don't like it. Let me go over there and see what's going on. Because I've made a lot of money off of a lot of things that people don't like. Broken down houses, broken down cars, broken down whatever, you know. It might be broken down to somebody right now, but it's got value to somebody who knows how to fix it.
0: So talk about that. I mean, obviously, you you mentioned that you've bought and and sold a lot of homes. And and we've had some sidebar conversations where – where you go in and you buy it and where somebody might feel the need or thought that they have to go in and repair it to 100% condition. Like you just said, there's somebody out there that would love that house or love that uh, you know, mobile home or whatever it is in, in exactly the shape that it's in. Talk a little bit well, about how you've been able to do that.
2: When you're seller financing, you know your buyer doesn't – the house doesn't need to get an inspection to, to, to be sold. Because I'm the one financing it. So the, the, my favorite strategy of all time, I think one of the most brilliant strategies of all time is buy it, don't fix it, mark it up by double, owner finance it to somebody and watch the guy making payments, go over budget on the rehab, fixing up your collateral. So <laughs> then an example is like, if you can buy something for 70 and then it needs 30 in repairs, then you know, you got 100 in it, so you're trying to owner finance it for 200. You don't always owner finance it for double. Sometimes a one, maybe I'll owner finance it for 190 or 185, but, you know, good enough. But for this conversation, we buy things at X and try to seller finance them at 2X is the goal. And so if you got 70 acquisition, 30 repairs, and then you got to sell it for 200, or you could just buy it for 70 and owner finance it for 140 as is. You know, I can... As the owner financier, I can owner finance the house and the broken windows and the hole in the roof for the same. You know, I I can finance it all. I'm, I'm, I can do it all, baby. I'll finance every defect in that house, and um, (laughs) then they can go. Then I can sit back and watch them go over budget instead of me. Because I don't know about y'all, but I always go over budget on the rehab. I've never met a rehab budget in my life, (laughs) and I should by now know how to do that, but I just don't. And uh, because I think it's the nature of the business, There's so many unknowns to these broken down houses, you know, and they're unknown for a little while, but they eventually show their head and you get to write a check for it. Um, so, you know, when you don't repair the house, you buy it in the morning for 70. By noon, it's for sale for 140. I'm averaging four days on the market right now, down from nine. COVID- I don't know what what got into people about real estate during COVID, but something's happened. Maybe it's the low interest rates. Maybe it's the need for people to get bigger places to to be able to enjoy more when they're stuck there. I don't know. But whatever happened, our days on market went from nine days to four days. And by the way, I don't even put signs in my yards anymore. Not even one. I sell. I have four days on the market. And I don't even. I don't even buy signs anymore.
1: Are, so, are you still using your list, uh, Mitch, excellent. as far as like texting and email list? Is there, is your yeah. primary source still?
2: Livecom. You know, I put out 20 signs around the neighborhood and one sign in the front yard on a lot of houses for a long time. Now I have 11,000 people in this town that want an owner financed home that haven't found one yet. And all I have to do is send out a text to them for two cents a piece. And I actually you only need to send out a text for 3000 of them at a time, because usually in the.
0: First round of three thousand, you'll find your buyer. Wow, and that's brilliant. That's a really awesome strategy. And, and the last episode, I won't make you redo it, but go back if you if you don't know what he's talking about, go back and listen to his previous episode. He details how he got that list. So you you're still um, you're still doing that. You've been able to reduce your um, your time on the market from nine days to four days. Talk a little bit about the default world. Have you seen that change at all over the last year and a half?
2: Well, we were worried about it going into COVID, and of course the courthouses shut down, and so they weren't weren't open to do evictions or foreclosures, so that was we thought that's going to be a problem. But, you know, the people that bought my houses, they were the owners, and they gave me Real decent amount, you know, I, I won't accept less than 10% down. I average 12% down. So on a $100,000 house, they've given me $12,000. On a $200,000 house, they've given me 24000 plus their closing costs, which is another three or four. So they're into this houses, you know, financially, they have a lot of skin in the game. Or or to them, you know, $10,000 a year or $10,000, maybe it's not. Even then, That's a, that's a decent amount of money. But to them, it's a lot of money, you know. Right. Uh someone moving into a hundred thousand dollar house puts up ten grand, that's a good chunk because it's all relative. And yeah. um and then they because it's their house, they've put on new roofs and put in new windows and you know, a new front door and electric garage door opener and sprinkler systems and porches and patios and pools and fences and and so now they're got even more skin in the game. They just don't walk away from these houses very easy. So consequently we learned during covid that we didn't see any increase in our normal foreclosure rate and our normal foreclosure rate was about 2%. wow
1: that's amazing and there hasn't been anything from the standpoint of uh, on the on the law side or, or federal side where you got any pressure as a lender to forgive any payments or anything like that throughout all this
2: no that was uh you know fha and the damn governors of the states, everything came out saying, you know, that they didn't have to make payments. And so they called me and says, we under, you know, are you going to do what the government said? Said, we don't have to make payments. I said, yeah, if you go get a Fannie Mae loan, you can do that. But I'm not, I'm not Fannie. I'm Fannie Mitch. Okay. So, <laughs> And that program is excluded from that deal. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, Fannie Mitch program don't work like that. And, uh, 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 you know, if somebody, we had two people out of 300 call us that warranted to talk to them. Like if they were been super bad payers to begin with, I wasn't even going to discuss, you know, modifying a loan for them. Uh, but the one that we had a couple that were really good payers and had been payers for three or four, or five, six years. And, we don't, you know, we're not here to take anyone's house away from them. That's, to me, that's a rotten plan. I uh, will try to work with them, so I called them up, and you know, if we could see some light at the end of the tunnel, we just move their payments, their delinquent payments to the back and let them start over again. Like, you know, they might have lost their job, then they took them two or three or four months to get their job back or get another job, and now they're even making more money than they were before, but they can't catch up. So I don't want to, I didn't want to hurt those people. You know, COVID was a nasty thing, and. You know, nobody could really plan for it. But even during the time they were down, I said, you know, you got to make at least half your payment. If you didn't plan good enough to make half your payment, then that that's just your fault. I mean, everyone's got to put some money away for a rainy day. And if you didn't do that, that's not my fault. Most of them, I mean, all of them could do that. They, they had enough. They just wanted to know that we were going to help them a little bit. If they, if they were trying, we, we verified that they were trying, uh, you know, I don't believe anybody about anything anymore. So they said they got downsized. I said, well, then have your HR person send me a letter that said you got let go and, and, and show me. And then show me where you got a new job, what you're making. And if there's a light at the end of this tunnel, I'll just move your four payments to the end. You know what I mean? But I'm not forgiving it. And if you just don't want to pay me, then I'll keep track of the payments and the late payments. And whenever they do open the courthouse, I'll be coming for your house. So, yeah. you know, in all the late fees, and you know we didn't we only had like eight conversations like that out of three hundred people, and um you know only two of them uh warranted you know that we should bend over backwards to work with them, you know, because they'd been great people, and they they'd never messed us around or anything and they they were solid people, and they were back on their feet, they just couldn't catch up,
0: so we worked with them are you looking for ways to implement ideas? get exposure to new ones, and be surrounded by people on the same journey as you. Joey,
1: where can they go to do that? Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash community. You can join for free today.
0: Well, so Mitch, we were uh, we were talking a little bit on the last show, and I know you raised like over $25 million or something like that and um, and was using that private money to acquire these homes. Uh, obviously, interest rates are much lower and, and things have changed. Have you gone back and refinanced any of that? Or are you still um rocking along just the way you were
2: We did a few things we We refinanced some uh well we hypothecated a couple of million dollar bundles of notes hypothecation meaning we pledged our notes as collateral. We can't refinance our houses because we don't own them anymore. We sold them to the people that are inside them making payments. So I can't refinance the house. I don't own it anymore. Right. But I do own a note. So I pledged my notes or, or hypothecated my notes to a bank and they would uh, refinance all my underlying debt underneath from my private lenders. And uh, and so, you know, my private lenders were getting paid six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10% depending on how old some of these notes were. And we were able to refinance at 3.6% on a 15 year fixed AM um, with maybe a half a point and no appraisals. And the reason why it's no appraisals is, you know, cause appraisals on 40 houses could turn into a chunk of money. Yeah. Uh, no appraisals because I'm not, getting a real estate loan, I'm pledging a personal asset called a real estate lien note. It's not, it's not a real, they're not loaning me money to buy a property or, or on the property they're loaning against my notes. So technically they're not regulated to get an appraisal. So what they would do is they would maybe pick 10 of my 40 notes and send it over to a broker and get a BPO, a broker's professional opinion for a hundred bucks. And if my values randomly looked in line, then they were not going to require any appraisal, so they went and did the ten random um, BPOs, and I came in right where I said I would, or or under, you know what I mean. I, I I I I was conservative, so that when this happened, I would shine, and so they took one look at the the little test swath they did and said, no, this th- these are good, so they didn't they didn't require me to get a loan. So I basically got a free loan at three at three point six percent. 15-year M. Fixed.
0: Wow. Yeah, so you were able to take some of that private money that you were borrowing at 8 nine, ten 9%, 10% and refinance it ultimately to that rate.
2: Yeah, it changed my cash flow like over $100,000 a year. Easy. And then we took a little bundle of notes and we sold them uh, because we wanted to have some dry powder uh, just to see where this economy is going and be in a position to strike fast with our own cash if uh, prices decrease anytime soon. doesn't look like they're decreasing right now because we're looking to buy some, or and we're also looking at storages. So we would spend that money on storages or we would spend that money on bargains. Right now we're trying to find larger tracts of lands, 250, 300, 400, 500, 600, 700 acres, so that we could break them up into smaller ranchettes and seller finance the ranchettes.
1: All right, so Mitch, you said a bunch of different things there and I don't want people to miss this. There are things that guys that are wise in the real estate world, um, they say, and then there's things that they say that you have to kind of listen for. And you just mentioned one thing was you gotta get dry powder right now. Is there anything in in your mind right now that you're looking at as far as trends that somebody who's sitting in in a point of cash as you know a lot of our clients are sitting there uh in cash in these in these life insurance policies ready to pull the trigger um on stuff what are some of those trends you're looking for outside of you you mentioned the ranches people probably aren't in that same position to take down a 700 acre ranch uh like you are but are there other things that people are looking for
2: well, you don't have to take down a 700 acre ranch. The reason how I learned it worked was I was taking down 15 acre places and breaking them into two acre places, you know, and, and then, you know, where I was buying five acre place and breaking it into, you know, five, one acre tracks and then seller financing it and watching how, watching how that worked and seeing that, you know, they were red hot and I'm kind of under the auspice that, even if things get tough, uh, uh, more people will want to get out into the country and and find their bug out spot. You know, which is some of what's driving it. A lot of people after COVID is like, I'm getting the hell out of this city. I'll drive to it every day, but I'm going to live there in case in case this gets bad. A lot of people are moving out to the rural, you know, out of town a little bit. Not they don't want to go too far, but they, they want to get away from the population centers. I'm guessing that's what it is. I mean, uh, so when you said not a lot of people can buy big ranches, I mean, there was a time I couldn't buy one either. I was buying really tiny, not even ranches, just little pieces. What I was buying, you know, two acres or one acre for cash at one price, and then owner financing it for two and a half x, you know, or three x. When you buy just when you, when you can steal a half acre lot for ten grand, it's not too hard to sell it for three X or four X. So it's more moving parts, but as you move up the chain and you get deeper pockets, you don't want to do everything one one lot at a time. You, you, as you build yourself up, you you start buying bigger pieces, you know, so that you have you can move faster. But everyone starts out in the same place, probably broke and slow. So <laughs> That's where I came from, broke and slow, and and dumb. I was came from broke, slow, and dumb.
0: So so I would just
2: try little things, and like I said, if they worked out, I try to do it again. If they didn't work out, I stopped doing that.
0: Uh, That's reassuring for for those of us who uh, meet a lot of those same criteria. You mentioned also in that uh, conversation a second ago, you talked about storage, and I know when we. We uh, talked last, you had uh, you had a lot of storage, especially around some of the lakes there. Uh, talk about that. How how's that business been, and have you been expanding it, or have you been selling off those assets?
2: Well, yeah, so I live at Canyon Lake, Texas, and not to be confused with Canyon Lake, California, for heaven's <laughs> sakes. Um, and so <laughs> I have like 14 locations around the lake that I have boat storage and mini storage, and mostly, you know, just dry storage. When I say boat storage, you pull your boat out of the water, you drive it over to my facility, you back it into a place, you close the doors and you walk away and you can't see your boat anymore because right. it's all in a little, little barn, you know, a little unit. And I have a uh, 1300 people only about a hundred bucks a month. And, uh, I, I started that business in 1991 with 13 boat stalls and, um, I don't, owe oh, very much on it, so you can do the math. Um, I don't have to work. I just don't know what else to do.
0: <laughs> what do you? I mean, you, you, can, you like... can only
2: drink and you can only drink and eat so much. I mean, you drive a fast car fast for a while. Okay, I did that. I mean, like, what, what am I going to do now? So I guess I'll go back. I, I'm a deal junkie, or I, I just like business. So my it's kind of a form of entertainment. You know, it's it's like people play video games, right? I, I, I have a different video game. Mine's, you know, I sell coaching or I sell courses or whatever. So while those other people are on the video games for seven and eight and nine, 10 hours a day, I get on my video game and how you can tell if I win my game is, is money goes into my bank account from the internet. And that's the video game I like to play. It's called (laughs) how much money can I make this internet crap into my bank account?
0: (laughs) You're playing, you're playing uh, games online, just different, different games. Yeah, I'm,
2: playing, I'm paying one that pays.
0: <laughs> so it, I, you know,
2: I, when you, when you play those games, it's like, all right, how do I get over this fence into this bunker? And how do I get a grenade? I'm just saying, how do I get over here into their wallet and get it to transfer to my, it's the same game. It's just, I get paid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. So Mitch, we, I, I'm grateful to have called up and, and updated on some things. Now, now I want a couple of takeaways. Get give, give give the person listening a couple of quick wins, practical things that if they would go follow these three steps, they have a, a decent chance of winning and playing the same online game that you're playing.
2: Well, the first step is gotta find a strategy that you love and that makes sense in your market and that you understand. And that takes some time. Second thing is is you gotta come to the conclusion as fast as they can that it's not about you and your money. It's about the deals. And the deals bring the money. The better deal you have, the faster the money will come. You're just a two legs, two arms and a mouthpiece. And so when you finally, you know, you find a good deal, 50 cents on the dollar, then your job is to take your two legs and walk through town, take your two arms and hold up the deal over your head and use your mouth to say, hey, look over here. There's, uh, there's money needed over here and you can make a decent return. And it doesn't matter, you know, it, uh, how much experience you have. It doesn't matter if you had filed bank rates. It doesn't matter if you don't have good credit. All that matters is, is what is the lender going to lend on? And if you don't pay him, what does he get? And if the answer to those things are good, then you'll get the money. I mean, it really doesn't even matter how many people you've murdered. You should be able to get this money from jail if you can sign up the deal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're not encouraging that though no No, right? what
2: I'm okay. just saying is it's a bad analogy but I'm saying you know Charles Manson should have been able to get that money you know hey hey warden I've got a house worth 200 and I need $100,000 and I'll give you a first lien and I'll pay you 10% I mean the warden's <laughs> like well hell if he doesn't pay me I'm going to get you know this, this this house that's worth twice as much who cares how many people he murdered you know so um you know so when you put it like that Everybody ought to be able to go get the money. My point was I, – I shall digress. My point was it's, you got to learn that it's where to get the money and how to get the money, and it's not based on you. It's, it's, it's how do you talk about the deals and how do you structure your deal so that people will want to give you the money despite your, your imperfectness. And I wish I would have learned that early on in my career because I spent a lot of time thinking that people were loaning money to me. They're not loaning money to me. They're loaning money on the deal I have.
1: All right, so let, let's talk about that really practically. You have been trained to see the deal and recognize the deal. Somebody has not been able to learn that. Where do they go? What do they, how do they learn that?
2: I mean, uh, you know, I, I teach it, but there's other people that teach it. Here's the thing about me. I don't care how you learn it. If, if I'm the right guy for you, if I speak your language and you think I'm the guy for you, then, then go over to 1000houses.com and look up Private Money Changes Everything, and that course is like 997. I mean, if, if if it helps you get one loan for even $50,000, it's a coup, you know, um, if it progresses you anywhere towards the understanding of how to do that, but it's pretty simple. I mean, there's only 21 objections. I have the answers to the objections. I show the kind of deals that people will lend on and why, and then you just kind of plug yourself into it, and And, and then you have to make that process your own because, you know, I, I might speak or talk a certain way, but... You talk or speak a different way. Just make those principles uh, your own and go sell them how you would sell, or or, or go. Um, it's not really even a sales job. Go, go. Um, uh, let people view them and make up their own mind. You know, but people with money, they know when things are right.
0: Well, Mitch, I am, I'm so blessed to have you back on the show. Thank you for coming and sharing some wisdom. Thanks for updating us on some of the fun stuff that you got going. Um, as, as Mitch said, uh, go to 1000houses.com, check those things out. Joey and I have had firsthand experience to see Mitch at work, and he's the real deal. And as you can see, he's a straight shooter there. bluff
1: <laughs> uh, is not in his book. Yeah.
0: It comes out directly. And I appreciate that. And thank you Some, again, Mitch. for Sometimes for it works
2: me. for me. Sometimes it works against me, but so uh, I, I did take on a quest this year. I, I decided I was going to put out a 10 minute free segment on YouTube every workday for the next year. So if you want to go to 1000houses.com forward slash YouTube, I, I, I'm just spilling my guts out there for nothing. You'll get, if you're not tired of me already, there, there's a place you can go and get real tired of me for free.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have been uh, perusing that site. There is uh, no shortage of content, and I guarantee you, interesting stories. It, it, it's it's worth uh, watching two or three videos for sure. So definitely go check uh, Mitch out on YouTube. Subscribe to that channel and um, check him out because we, we think a lot of you, Mitch, and we appreciate you coming on and sharing with our audience.
2: Thank you. So let me, I look like this over there because they made me take my hat off of the YouTube place. So they, they, <laughs> said, they said YouTube penalizes cowboys. So I said, well, I already don't like it, but since I already paid for it, I guess I better do it.
1: So <laughs> Well, thanks again, Mitch, for joining us. And thank you as always for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.
2: Hey, thank you all. It's always a pleasure, man. And whenever you get down this way, come on down and I'll introduce you to some of my hogs on my place
0: Done. Absolutely. Done. All right. Have a great day.
2: You might have to put a hole in a couple of them.
0: (laughs) I'll show Joey how to do that. (laughs) All right. All right. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand
1: so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.